Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles and turn over to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. Today we're continuing our series on the 11 tests of saving faith. As we saw last week, not all faith leads to heaven. There is a faith that only leads to hell. And so we are following the command of Scripture to examine ourselves. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth over in 2 Corinthians 13, says, Test yourselves, and that's a command in the Greek, to see if you are in the faith, if you indeed are a Christian. Examine yourselves. That word means to put yourself to the test to see the quality Look at your life. Look at your faith. Examine. Test yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail the test? There are several things that this verse puts before us. First, we're commanded by God to test to see if we are Christians, true Christians or not. Now, the second thing, God wouldn't command us to do this if there was not that possibility and maybe even a probability that some people think they are Christians who are not. In fact, it's a certainty. He wouldn't tell us to do it. If there were not some who thought they were Christians, He was writing to the church here, a congregation like ours. And if I told you God gave me a message for you this morning, and He told me to tell you to test yourself to see if you're in the faith, that you need to examine yourselves to see if indeed you're Christians, then you could be sure somebody in here needed to hear that. And so we would do well to follow the admonition of God's Word to see if indeed we are born into the kingdom of God, if we are indeed sons and daughters of God. Because not everyone who says they are Christian are. Not everyone who says they are Christian really know what it means to be and have truly experienced the new birth. You remember last week I told you Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and He'll say, I never knew you. And so it is a reality, and we are looking at the 11 tests of saving faith. That means that if you are indeed a Christian, you ought to see some evidence of each of these 11 in your life. There will be more, perhaps, of one than another. Uh, A particular area you may be more mature in, in the faith, but there ought to be some evidence. If you can go through these tests and not see an evidence in your life, then you better seriously question your salvation. 
lest you be one of those that in the judgment day thinks you're a Christian only to find out Jesus never knew you. We saw the first test last week. And that is you have a desire to walk in the light and in fellowship with God. A desire to walk in the light and in fellowship with God. And we talked about what that meant. And if you were not here, you can go online and listen to that message at our church website. Today, we come to the second test of saving faith. And that is the desire to be obedient to God's commands and to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at beginning in verse 3, and we'll be looking at verses 3 and 4. Let me ask you to stand in respect for the Word of God. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. You may be seated. I do not know how much clearer John could have made it. <laughs> he just simply says, we can tell those who know, who have an intimate personal relationship with Him, being God, because they keep His commandments. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And if somebody says they know Him, says they are a Christian, says they have a personal relationship with Him, but they do not keep His commandments, they're liars. And the truth is not in them. Now John was writing, you remember, to people who made a false separation between what they believed and how they lived. They felt like that as long as you believe right, then what happened down on this mundane earthly scene was not that important. As long as you had the right beliefs, that was what was important. And they made a false dichotomy between what you believed and how you lived. And John's writing to combat that. And basically what John is saying is, what you truly believe is not what you say, but how you live. What you really believe deep down within your heart is not what you say you believe, but it's how you live. Your behavior reveals your true belief system, not simply your words. Now, I hope and pray that our words match our behavior. So that what we believe, not only do we verbalize, but we live it. But John says, if you've got to make a choice, and what shows me truly what you believe, it's going to be how you live. Not what you say. Words are cheap. And so what John is telling us is that a saving faith always, always involves the will of man 
so as to bring the will into obedience to the Lordship of Christ. Saving faith. A faith that testifies of a true born-again experience. Of being a true child of God. Always. There is no exception. It always involves your will being brought under the submission and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. It's not just believing the facts. See, this is where we get confused because of our English language and our Western way of thinking. You and I have grown up with the term belief being synonymous with intellectual knowledge or intellectual assent, right? We don't have any problem saying, I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States. I say that, every one of you knows exactly what I mean. It means that that I know the facts, that he was the first president of the United States, and I trust and believe those facts are true, right? In the New Testament, the term belief meant more than intellectual knowledge or assent. It meant to rely on. It meant to cling to. It meant to trust in. Now, when I say I believe George Washington, first president of the United States, you don't even think at all. I mean, I trust in him. I rely on him. I cling to him. You say, he's dead. You wouldn't do that. Well, the problem is when we come to the New Testament and it says, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. If you're not careful, you think in terms of our Western way of thinking and it means simply to acknowledge that, yes, Jesus was God's Son. Jesus lived. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for sins. He arose from the dead. I'm a Christian. I believe in the name of Jesus. But that's only intellectual assent. Being a Christian involves not only knowing the facts, but it involves placing our trust to cling to, to rely on, to submit our will to the Lordship of Jesus. It's totally two different things to believe there was a person who lived named Jesus, even to believe in a measure He was God's Son, than it is to surrender your will to His Lordship over your life. Now, the demons do this one. The devil does this one. The devil has perfect theology. Perfect. He knows the Bible so much better than you and I. His theology is right. He has the right thoughts. But you know what he and his demons will not do? They'll not surrender willingly to the Lordship of Jesus. Remember James said last week, you believe God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. When Jesus walked the face of the earth, the demons, they knew who he was. They knew he was the Holy One of Israel. They knew he was the Son of God. But you and I would never say they were Christians. Because they never surrendered their wills to the Lordship of Jesus. 
A saving faith always involves the will being brought into surrender to Christ's Lordship. You see, when you look at the New Testament, you know how many times Jesus has spoken of His Savior? Ten. How many times has He spoken of His Lord? Seven hundred. And any time you see Lord and Savior both mentioned, Lord is always first. Now, if you look at the New Testament, it wouldn't take a genius to figure out that the emphasis is not on Savior, but on Lord. Right? Ten to seven hundred. And what you read in Scripture is not call on the name of Savior Jesus, but what? Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. When Paul and Silas were in that Philippian jail and God brought that miraculous earthquake and broke the jail doors wide open and made their chains fall off. And the guard of the prison was so upset and so alarmed. And, and he said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul tell him? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Not believe in Savior Jesus, but believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. When we take Jesus as Lord, then He becomes our Savior. There is no taking Jesus as Savior today and Lord a week, a two, a three, a month, a year later. Mm -mm. Because it always involves, saving faith involves a surrender of your will to the Lordship of Christ. We must bring our will under His Lordship. When God saves us, the Holy Spirit enables us to reverse the rebellion of Adam. Now, I want you to look at the diagram that I have up here. The first diagram on the left is Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam walked with fellowship with God. He walked in obedience to God. He walked under the Lordship of God. And God gave him a test. He said, I do not want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we know the story, don't we? Adam chose to rebel against God and to come out from under God's authority. He was in rebellion. Now, do you think Adam's theology changed any? you think he knew any less about God? No, but what he was, was he was in rebellion. He came out from under the authority of God. Well, as you and I know, we call that the fall. And as a result of that, every person that's been born into this human race has been born in rebellion against God. Now, go to the next slide. Now, in order for you and I to become Christians, 
we must reverse the rebellion that Adam did, reverse the rebellion that we're born with, and we surrender to the Lordship of Christ. That's why I am positive that this is a true test of saving faith. Because we got to do something to undo what Adam did. And because of Christ's life and death and resurrection, the power of the Spirit enables us in the new birth to reverse the rebellion of Adam and come under the Lordship of Jesus. And we've got to do something Satan and his demons will not do. And that is to bring our will once again under the will of God as Lord. And so, now with that in mind, look again at our verses for today. With that diagram in mind. Now see. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. I don't care what this guy on the left says. He doesn't know Him. Because he's living in rebellion. His life is not one characterized by obedience to God. Now the next diagram. The problem we have is that some people come to Jesus just to get their problems fixed. Right? They have some crisis in their life. They find out they've got cancer. They find out that one of their loved ones has cancer perhaps. Or they're going through some tremendous financial pressure. They're about to lose their house or maybe they've lost their job. Whatever the crisis might be, they won't relieve. They won't help. And somehow, somebody says something like, you know, Jesus can help you. Jesus is a great problem solver. Well, they won't help. Sometimes they may genuinely be afraid of going to hell and they want a fire insurance policy. They want to be free from hell. And so they run to Jesus in their crisis and they say, help me, Jesus. Help get me through this problem. Help my marriage. Help my children. But you know what they've never done? They've not surrendered to His Lordship. They've just gone to Him to get some help, to get some relief. And these people are prime candidates for false conversion. These people are prime candidates to think they are Christian because they've run to Jesus. I've prayed to Jesus. I've asked Him to help me. I've asked Him to save me from hell. But there's been no surrender of their life to His Lordship. You see, there has been no repentance. That's what's missing in their experience. Repentance is crucial. To a saving faith. Why? Because repentance means you confess, admit you're wrong, and then you forsake. 
you turn away from your sin and you come under the Lordship of Christ. When Jesus came preaching, the first word from His mouth recorded in Scripture was repent. Matthew 4.17 From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Admit you're wrong and turn away from it. Forsake it. Turn away from sin and turn toward God in surrender of your will to His will. Repent. When John the Baptist came preaching repentance, some people came up to him and and he gave some very strong words to them over in Luke 3, beginning in verse 7. Listen to what he told them. So he began saying to the crowd who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones God's able to raise up children to Abraham. In other words, don't say, well, we, we, we've got the right heritage. We're all right. We're, we're, we're Jews. We're descendants of Abraham. We're okay. Uh-uh. You've got to have repentance. John goes on to say, Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? In other words, how can we show our repentance is true? Look what he says. And He would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. In other words, your actions ought to change. The way you behave should be different. And he's the tax collect and the tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to do. In other words, quit stealing from people. A true faith shows itself in the way you act. True repentance. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages, because the Roman soldiers were notorious for taking money from people, making them carry their bags for a mile. And John says, Your repentance should show itself in the way you act. Because a true saving faith always involves coming under the Lordship of Christ. Now, look at this next. Now, which one of these is saved? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? They'd come to Jesus. 
but they've not come through repentance and surrender. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How do you know, preacher? They had never surrendered to Jesus. How do you know? Because they practice lawlessness. That's the key word. They had not surrendered. They had not repented. Therefore, they continued to practice lawlessness. And Jesus says, I don't know you. You just came to me to get something from me. You never came in total, absolute surrender of all that you are and all that you have to me as your Lord so I could become your Savior. Listen again to our verse today looking at this diagram. By this we know that we've come to know Him. If we keep His commandments, the one on the left, the one who says, I've come to know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, guy on the right, and the truth is not in Him. How much clearer can it be? In true conversion, The obedience of faith which marks the conversion experience becomes a lifestyle of obedience to God. When you get truly born again and you surrender to the Lordship of Christ in your life, you do what the Scripture calls the obedience of faith. And when you come to that place, In the initial conversion experience, you don't stop there. That initial experience develops into a lifestyle of obedience to God. Now, the Scripture uses the term obedience of faith. In fact, Paul uses it twice in the book of Romans. And I think it's important. Because you cannot separate faith from obedience. It's two sides of the same coin. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. Romans 1, 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about. Paul's talking about his commission as an apostle, as a missionary. And he says, God commissioned us for this purpose, that we might bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, for His name's sake. See that phrase? Obedience of faith. Because a true saving faith always, always results in a lifestyle of obedience to God's commands. Also in the end of Romans, in the 16th chapter, Paul is talking about the gospel. Look at what he says. But now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, who has has been made known to all the nations, leading to what? The obedience of faith. The gospel goes out so that those who hear 
can believe with the result being the obedience of faith. And so the test is absolutely 100% valid. If you are indeed a born-again believer, you will have a desire to walk in obedience to God's commands and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Now look over in... In First John chapter two verse seventeen, because you see the faith unto obedience grasp the salvation that's from God. Look at what he says in First John two seventeen. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God, and isn't that the same thing as the one who is obedient to God, one who obeys God, the one who does the will of God lives forever. So the obedience of faith grasps eternal life. You can have the assurance that you're born again because you have a lifestyle of obedience to God's Word. Also, the faith into obedience desires to be like Jesus. Look in verses 5 and 6 of 1 John 2. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. How do you know? The one who says he abides in him ought also to walk in the same manner as he walked. How did Jesus walk? In obedience to the Father. In submission to the Lordship of the Father in his life. We've seen that so many times. So if you say you know Him, then you should walk as He walked, and that is in surrender to His Lordship as He surrendered to the Lordship of the Father in His life. And so the faith of obedience desires to be like Jesus, to be totally dependent upon God and submissive to Him in everything. And thirdly, the faith to obedience makes it a joy to obey God's will and commands. Look in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Look at that. You mean, preacher, that it's not a burden to obey God? Not if you're a truly born-again Christian. You see, a non-Christian doesn't want to obey God. It's a burden. It's a chore. He sees the commandments of God as prohibitive and restrictive in his life. God just doesn't want me to do everything that I want to do. He's trying to keep me from having a good time. That's the attitude of a nominal Christian. God's just out to get me. They don't find any joy in obeying God. They don't really desire Jesus to be Lord of every area of their lives. They still want to run the show. They still want to do things their way. They don't find delight in the Lordship of Jesus. They don't find true fulfillment. 
and surrendering to Him as their all in all. They want to see how much they can get by with doing wrong before He's absent. They want to walk as close to sin as they can. Not flee from it, but flirt with it. What can I still do and be a Christian? That attitude right there reveals that you're not. So if you're here today, and you call yourself a Christian, put yourself to this second test. Do you have a desire to obey God's commands and surrender to the Lordship of Christ? I didn't say perfect. We're not perfect. None of us. But do you truly desire to be perfect? I mean, do you really want to not have any sin in your life? I mean, do you really, if I could, I would really want to walk in absolute 100% obedience in everything. That's the question. Or do you think, man, I just want to do just enough to get by. Just enough obedience to make it in. Well, you'll never make it in. Being obedient anyway. (laughs) Can't be good enough. But is that your thought? If that's the way you're processing, then that's an indication. You don't really know Jesus and a saving faith. So put yourself to the test. What does the test reveal about your faith? Is it a true saving faith? Or is it only a faith that leads to hell? Let's pray. From you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our minister of community connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.